escape from planet. I'm the son of a black man from Kenya and a white woman from Kansas. I have brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, uncles, and cousins of every race and every hue scattered across three continents. And for as long as I live, I will never forget that in no other country on earth is my story even possible. Hi, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, Oxford. And we have a very special guest, actually uh, two special guests tonight. So first, we have Sharon H. Chang. Hi, everyone. And uh, C.S. Taniguchi. Hey, C.S. Hey, everyone. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves first. Uh, Sharon, so um, what brings you here? Well, uh, I'll start with who I am. So I am a Seattle-based photographer, author, and activist. And um, I do a lot of different stuff. I've written two books. I think there's a lot of reasons I'm on this podcast right now. One of them is because of my newest book, Hoppa Tales and Other Lies, a mixed race memoir about the Hawaii I ever knew, uh, never knew, uh, but also because Plan A is awesome. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, you just said it. This episode, uh, as you could probably tell by the title, I mean, if you're clicking this, you probably saw the title will be about, you know, Hoppas uh, and mixed race uh, Asians. Um, but yeah, well, we'll get to that uh, later. Uh, CS, please uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, hi, uh, I came, I uh, found Plan A through just going through the internet. Uh, I feel like at the time I was really struggling to find any kind of semblance of uh, an Asian community. community. Uh, I live in like a pretty white area. And so I was coming into this problem of like having these questions about identity and not really having an outlet for it. And so going over the internet, I uh, was finding a lot of different spaces, but uh, they weren't particularly kind of in the same vein of thought where I was going. A lot of it was like more trite things or like like uh like just basic identity stuff that you'd find on youtube or like more political organizations like the japanese american citizen league um i feel like my questions were a little bit more uh i don't want to say deep but just <laughs> i wanted to i wanted to do something no, that was like that. more <laughs> i wanted to do something that was more like unpacking a lot of the thoughts that i was having and uh by chance through medium uh I came across Plan A and the website looked really nice. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this is something worthwhile. And I started listening to podcasts and reading articles. At the time, I was kind of uh, projecting to hopefully become, build like some kind of path in writing myself. So uh, I emailed you, Oxford, and I guess the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, uh, CS, you've contributed a couple of uh, guest articles for us. Uh, Gatekeeping America, which is all about uh, immigration and East of Human, Less Than Man, which uh, examines just like Asian uh, masculinity uh, and how it works in America. So, uh, yeah, uh, listeners, please go read that. And um, I mean, there's okay. before we start uh, my usual spiel about if you like us, please go uh, rate us five stars on iTunes, uh, subscribe to us, SoundCloud, we're on Spotify now. Go read our articles on planamag.com and hey, reach out to us. Uh, I mean, that's basically what CS and uh, Sharon did. Um, our DMs on Twitter are, are all open and our email is editor.planamag at gmail.com. Okay, now that that's out of the way, um, 
I mean, uh, the reason you're here is also you're both of of mixed race, right? So, um, Sharon, starting with you, you, you want to just tell us like your life story? My life story. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. might condensed into that a might few take a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, let's see. I am. I, I've been experimenting, as many mixed people do, with how I describe what and who I am recently. So, this is my most current language. I am uh, Asian American. I'm Taiwanese American. I am Asian mixed American. I'm the <laughs> daughter of a, a Taiwanese immigrant father and a white American mother who's from New England. And um, so I'm second generation Taiwanese American, but I'm also a first generation mixed race American. And what I mean by that is that I'm the first person on both sides of my family born to parents that fall into different racial categories. And that matters because we know in mixed race research that people who claim mixed identities, um, a lot of times they have a generational nearness or some kind of um, connect through parents or grandparents. And that's why they feel close to that identity. So anyways, mm -hmm. That's that's where I come from. How far do you want me to go with my life story? Uh, <laughs> just, just I guess, uh, just keep going. Sure. Um, I was born in Connecticut, know. so I was born in like at the time it was Lily White, Connecticut. Grew up there for the first eight years. Have very few memories other than just like young child things. And then uh, we moved to China for a transitional oh, wow. year. So lived in Beijing for third grade, and then we moved then we moved to um, L.A. Uh, for the rest of the time. So that was where I spent uh, most middle school and high school. And then I went to UCLA. So that's my my alma mater. Um, but also during that time, we my my parents have some means. So we were able to travel back and forth to Taiwan uh, multiple times when I was growing up to see my Taiwanese family. So I feel very bi-coastal and transnational. I'm not fluent in Mandarin. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fluent in Taiwanese, but like I still have that feeling of being very fluid in where I belong. Um, and then currently I'm also partnered with another mixed person. Um, my husband is biracial, Japanese and white. His mother's a Japanese immigrant and his father's white American. And then we have a nine-year-old son who's mixed multiplied. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Thanks, Sharon. Um, uh, Sias, why, why don't you tell us a bit about how you grew up? Sure. So, uh, I'm half Japanese, half Scandinavian. My mother is Japanese and my father was Scandinavian. Um, when I was about one, maybe like a little before then, uh, my dad died of a brain tumor. Oh, and sorry to hear that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of odd that, I mean, it's funny that you say that because it's like a thing of, I think a lot of people when I bring it up is like, feels uncomfortable about it for because it's, it's like it seemed it's a seemingly sensitive topic but it really isn't for me it's like kind of uh distant like it's um i feel like for my sisters i have two older sisters who uh uh i i have a lot more like memories of him and like him as a person someone that was in their life for me that was never really the case it was just my mother and my two sisters um and so i feel like there's this there's a sense when you're the youngest of a single parent household of kind of like the emotional sense of like gravity around you and what things are going on, but you don't really have like the knowledge of it. And so for me, I like, it's a, it's a thing of empathy to like know about that like fact of our family history, but it's not really a thing that is like, you know, part of my identity. And that's kind of a, uh, I think a hard thing that I've kind of struggled with 
when I like think of myself as like mixed race or as Asian American is that it's like when I think about like the things I was mirroring or like uh, specifically within regards to masculinity, it's um, it, it's just like a lot much harder thing to trace because there wasn't someone there that was like consistently like showing me a thing to model. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's also hard too, because when I think, uh, when I started reading plan A and like giving this, uh, a lot of these like subjects that have been covered in the magazine, uh, more thought, uh, I kind of started to realize I really didn't have like a strong, uh, like positive association with Asian men, uh, because my grandfather, uh, my, my, on my mother's side, he was, he's always, he was always like a pretty, um, silent and not like we didn't like talk about like particularly deep things um for like both him and my grandma were kind of like very quiet and for the most part like and also by the time like I really got to the point where I was able to talk to them their like mental capacities were starting to diminish more through Alzheimer's um and so there's a disconnect there and then my uncle uh my mother's brother he's just always kind of been like a not great person uh oh, no. and so it's like well i mean it's like the like odd thing when i like make that association i'm like okay so in my head like it, uh specifically japanese guys are like not the greatest but then like when you like have that association it's like what does that say about me uh yeah in your own like self-imaging i think that's like the question that i like i mean i really didn't even like start to develop uh, coherently until like my mid twenties. Um, before that, uh, I think it's important to distinguish that. Like I remember, or I remember my mom telling me this. I didn't, I don't even remember saying it, but she said to me that like when I was like 16 or something, I said to her that like, and apparently my sisters were in agreement that like, you know, you're Japanese, but we're white, you know, and like oh, discounted wow. that sense. And I, I think that was because, A, we were in, like, a community that was predominantly white, uh, but also, B, it was, like, a thing of, like, I think it may be, like, kind of, like, a liberal shame, if that makes any sense, of, like, you know, your mother is, like, she has dark brown skin, she's, like, obviously Japanese, uh, we are, like, maybe, like, white passing to a certain extent, and it's, like, there's, like, a fucked upness to, like, claiming that identity, and so I think that is where, like, that thought process came from. And obviously that, like, has a lot of problems uh, when you're, like, or just, like, that's not totally a coherent thought because then it's, like, it discounts, like, I think the thing that I really never thought of is, like, what part of that is just becomes, like, shame on my part of, like, Asian-ness, if that makes any sense. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh I think that's a topic we definitely need to discuss a bit later. But but Sharon, I, I want to ask you because like CS uh, touched upon it a bit about like when did you was there a point where you like fully realized you were Asian or something? I mean, you wrote uh, you've written about this in you know raising mixed race, which you know I've read. It's a very good book. Uh, and then uh, CS has read Hoppa Tales. Like, was there like a turning point in you, or did you like feel that from the start? No, I felt it from the start because, like I said, um, you know we. Uh, my parents had the means to go to Taiwan and my mother was willing and she, I, I think the first time she brought me, I was three months old. So, and then we lived in oh, China okay. for a year. And so we were just always um, either in Asia or like, you know, eventually a lot of my Taiwanese family ended up in the U S 
and we would see them. We were in LA all together, so we would see them often. So I, f- I felt from the very beginning um, that that was a part of who I was. Uh, that's not the same for my husband. <laughs> so he and I, he oh, would how so? he would have no problem saying this. And I think that um, CS, I appreciate what you're bringing in about gender because I think that this is huge. And there's been some studies now that are also looking at like gender and mixed race, and they're finding, for example, that women are more likely to identify as mixed race than men. And so that's interesting to think about. But anyways. Um, wait, wait. So uh, just a sec. So the men are more likely to identify as, like a, as just like monoracial? Like a single race, yeah. Okay. Is it Asian or like non-Asian? I would have to look more carefully at that study. I don't know if they studied Asian subjects or if it, you know, like with mixed race stuff, it can be such a variety. So I, I would just urge listeners to go look up that study. But I remember when it came out, it was like all over the internet. It was a while ago. Oh, I see. But um, because okay. people were like, oh, you know, young mixed people like are less likely to identify as mixed if they're, if they're male identifying. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Anyways, but um, for my husband, he grew up in a, um, they were not able to go um, back to Japan. And so he just, his connect was through his mother primarily and um he grew up in a really white um community pretty isolated in washington state and so he uh he tells the story and he's happy to have others hear it thought he was a white person until he was about 16 years old he said or somewhere around there a teenager he looked in the mirror for the first time saw an asian person and had this like horrible moment like this horrible shock because he didn't know that that i never had um so it's different for me, but I do wonder about the the gender piece in that um, because when my son was little, and uh, I've written about this before, he went through a stage where he was sort of fixating. This is not uncommon for children of color, but fixating on like depictions of blonde-haired, blue-eyed boys. And if I asked him which one do you look like, he would always pick the white, you know, light-haired, light-eyed boy. Um, yeah, to, that's the the Clark doll experiment, right, right? To the point that I I had to start taking them to the mirror, and working on it together. And th- you know, we look alike, so I could use myself as a reference. And this is more challenging when the parents and children don't look like each other. Um, but uh, you know, we worked on it for a while. We had to do like look at your skin, look at the color of your eyes, look at your hair, look at my hair, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's intense. It gets intense. And it, as as yeah. CS says, it happens early, but in a different way for mixed kids a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, I was recently in LA and I met up with a good uh, friend of mine, and he's he's mixed race, like half half white, half uh, Asian, and like I, I've known him for quite a while, but we've never had we never talked about race, and I always assumed that you know he he never had any issues with it or anything, but. One night we're having dinner and I tell him about like plan A and we're talking about like Asian American identity issues. And he gets really deep and like he digs deep and talks about growing up, how he like really hated his like Asian side. And, you know, this was a guy I thought, you know, he, he's, he's like, you know, he's like a popular guy and didn't seem like he had any of, of those kinds of issues or whatever. But, you know, it, it does it's like all there and, and it's just about, you know, get you know getting people to open up about them. Um so I think this is a good time to talk about this. Uh, I think Sharon, when, when we, uh, Sharon and CS, when, when we like talked before this podcast, there, there are like all sorts of, uh, like, you know, census uh, things coming out, talking about how uh, mixed race uh, people, and I mean, not, not just like Asians, but just like mixed race in general, like Americans are a rapidly growing group. And I think for a long time, especially the kind of like uh, 
liberal consensus was that this is uh, just it's like good. This is what's basically going to end racism or whatever. Uh, but you know, you guys have have actually lived this. Like, what are your thoughts on like the the positives, but also the challenges that are going to come from this? Well, I just have to say first and like just lead with mixed race. Having mixed race kids is not going to end racism. There is no proof that that is true. There's no evidence that's true. And if we look at other countries or other parts of the U.S., like, for example, like Hawaii, which I write about in Hoppa Tales, but even like Brazil or places that have a quote unquote reputation for a lot of mixing or a longer history of mixing, we don't see that racism was eradicated by having mixed children. So let's just let's put that yeah. out there right away. Yeah, Sharon, <laughs> you, you told me about that story. I, I think you were giving some kind of talk and then uh, you you met this like uh, older Asian American man and he's like, oh, I, I have a complete faith that, um, you know, this like, uh, like race, um, mixed race is going to lead to a great future, just like Brazil. And, and when he told me that, you, you and I both laughed because like, like Brazil, like one of the most uh, like, countries riddled with wealth slash racial inequality is <laughs> oh yeah yeah i yeah. get that a lot i don't know if you get that cs uh, but it, it is tied to the way that i love this sort of you know people will project their fantasies onto me about a, a better right. world um and maybe they are like like when i was interviewing for my first book this would happen sometimes when i was talking to parents who had these young mixed children they would be i could see them in real time sort of imagining what their child would be like as an adult and like kind of dreaming about it and you know um getting a little bit idyllic like in real time with me um I, but it is uh, i just want to ask you does that primarily have to do with appearance um, yeah, you know, appearance really impacts mixed people's experiences. Yeah. Like, cause yeah, I, I just find that so creepy when, especially like Asians, uh, they dream that, uh, you know, if, if they have like a half white, half Asian baby, there is this real like strain of, of, of like, uh, fetishization of like Hapa babies that I've always found disturbing, especially yeah, cause it's huge. like a one way thing. Cause like the, like white people, yeah, yeah, they might think like, Hapa babies are cute, but they're not the ones like really going out of the way to have children with Asians. But it's mainly us who are like, uh, you know, jumping over hoops and all of that. So I just find a very, um, very indicative of, of like the racial hierarchy. But please go on. Oh, um, yeah, I want to say I want to address a couple of those points, too. But I, I mean, for mixed people, how we look, um, unfortunately, really does impact, you know, in a racial construct on races primarily a, a physical, like a physical marker, uh, how we look really impacts mm -hmm. our experience. So for example, like black mixed children, whatever that mix may be, if they look black, they're gonna be treated like black people in this country and, and everything that means, you know, and so for like someone like me, who's Asian and white, we can look all kinds of ways if, if my husband looks Asian enough that people sometimes thinks he's 100% Asian. He's been in Asia and people thought he was full Asian. So he's he's dealt with a lot. And also as, a, as male identified, he's dealt with a lot of like, a lot of um, harassment for being Asian in ways that I haven't. Mm -hmm. I've gotten because I look sort of ambiguous a little more and I look more like a Hawaii girl, quote unquote, which is why I wrote Hot Potatoes again. Um, I get a <laughs> lot of the kind of um, fetishizing and exotifying, which Asian women get generally, but I get this other layer as a mixed woman. Um, so that does matter. But um, in terms of uh, having these mixed babies and fetishizing them, um, I want to point out that it's only a certain kind of baby that people want to have. They want to have a baby that's mixed white. And so, oh, exactly, yeah. yeah. And so this is like in mixed race communities where we're 
we are have been urged and challenged and we are trying to work on centering non-white mixed people um, because they get really lost in the conversation, but they are here too. And some of them have been here for a very long time. So I just wanted to, to say that as well. But I, And I also want to say, I do think white people are starting to want to have the mixed babies. Um, oh. Maybe originally that wasn't true and it was uneven and it was more like people of color seeking that out. Maybe I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not entirely sure. But nowadays I, I am starting to hear <laughs> white, you know, white <laughs> folks wanting to have like they're gonna get they want to have a baby one day that's mixed they want to they want to have an interesting exotic baby or something um i find that so deeply disturbing i can't even i don't even know yeah it's <laughs> it's like treating babies like a fashion accessory you know it's like it's a reflection of my worldliness or whatever it's it's yeah it's messed up well and i should add also i have many additions right now apparently um that with fertility technology improving all the time and things like people needing donors or wanting donors or whatever um, happening, people are unfortunately or fortunately, uh, you know, they're choosing sometimes through medical support and th through fertility treatments to have mixed children. Um, and I have questions about that. And I don't know that those fields, those medical fields are very sensitive about about um, consulting with their patients about race. <laughs> so that's interesting also yeah that just raises a lot of questions i think we'd rather keep buried mm -hmm. uh, because it's so direct i mean i think people you know through the people they date and want to marry they're indirectly uh answering those questions like what do i what race do i want my baby to be but for it to be like in a, in a catalog in front of you is i think um and, and you hear i think i've heard stories in, in countries like brazil and i'm sure in countries like asia it's like what kind of you know sperm is the most you know, expensive, you know, highly valued, and it's always white. Mm. It's like, we always, we, we know that, you know, living in America, you kind of know that. Yet, for it to be so stark, I think, makes a lot of people uncomfortable to the point where they might just want to ignore it. But it's like, it's, the question's right there. <laughs> yeah. So that's something we've got to pay, pay, I mean, you had mentioned, I think, earlier, like, what does this mean moving forward? I think that's one thing we need to pay attention to that no one's talking about. I, I don't know if I'm digressing, but also, like, the DNA testing that's happening right now that's so popular, which... I have questions about also because I feel like they're re reifying the idea, rewriting the idea that race is biological and, and, and it's not because um, those companies aren't being very thoughtful about what, the way they use racial labels. But um, racial versus ethnic, it gets kind of murky with them. But um, a lot of times those companies use mixed bodies as advertisement for their products. And I think mm. that's going to get really messy really fast. Um so, so that I hope people can keep an eye on too. And then I also saw an article that is so creepy that um, like a lot of CGI designers are creating these models that are actually getting used in like high fashion campaigns. They're not real people. Um, they've just been designed, but they, they, they design oh them as, God. they design them as mixed race as ambiguous, you know, in this kind of light skinned, ambiguous mixed race. And that also freaks me out. So lots of things to pay attention to. <laughs> <laughs> Um, based on our earlier conversations, uh, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you guys, uh, based on, uh, you know, like, uh, Sharon, you, you used to be a teacher and C and, and CS, you, you've, you've been very politically active and, and CS, I want to focus on a story you told us, I think when we were, uh, you know, you came to visit New York and, you know, we, we had a great dinner wow. with you and some other plan A people, but you brought up the fact that you've been involved in a lot of leftist spaces and how, true, yeah. um, your race would shift, uh, according to what 
they found useful. Uh, please talk more about that. I found that fascinating. Yeah, well, uh, so when I uh, finally moved out of my mom's apartment uh, and I came to the Pacific Northwest, I kind of like jumped headlong into the anti-war movement, which uh, I think for full context too, like I grew up in Minnesota, which I thought like in my head, it was like a very white space and was like, but then like in the Pacific Northwest and it was completely different. Like a lot of the people on the bus I went to school, like in high school where like a lot of diff- like a lot of people were uh, uh, Tibetan refugees, uh, Somali refugees, like it was a surprisingly diverse like group of people that I was surrounded up uh, by back then. Um, and I was kind of shocked to come to this part of the country and just be like, really actually see what a like totally white space was. Um, and I live in Olympia, Washington, which is the capital. And uh, just for context, like Olympia is like a pretty uh, leftist city that is kind of surrounded by a lot more like rural, white, uh, working class and right wing uh, towns. And so there's kind of like it's like a, it's a bit of a bubble uh, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it. It's such a weird thing because I like I was saying before, like I had go coming from Minnesota, I had like this context of like, okay, well, you know, I am white because I like present in these certain ways. But then suddenly when I was in like an actually like white space, I was like the token person of color, like I get <laughs> they would have like their POC caucuses and I was like, I guess I'm going to this thing or something. You know? <laughs> it was it was like not even it was just like everyone automatically knew where I was going before I knew where I was going. And there wasn't like a discussion about it. There wasn't the ambiguity that I was feeling. So I just kind of went with it. But it, it, yeah, you know, it's it's weird too, because like the inverse of that was true, where I would meet people who were like, if I ever said anything that was like not particularly like in line with what everyone else was thinking or something, or like saying something that was like maybe like kind of stirring the pot regarding race, it would be like come this issue of like, well, you have like uh, these privileges or whatever, um, or you look white, you know, so how can you uh, really like say that with any sense of authority? And I don't think that is like, uh, like, let me be clear. I, I think it's always healthy to have like a, like a good sense of like questioning yourself about when you're like making those kind of statements or whatever. But like, I think it's interesting that like, my like how I present and like my racial identity is kind of used as a fulcrum to like the legitimacy of like whatever I'm saying. And I think that's kind of a hard, like I think people like look at mixed race people and they just have like this cognitive dissonance where it's like they want to place you in one or the other. And it, I think it just like becomes, it just exposes like how shallow our notions of race are because it's just like it, it isn't actually a thing that is like biologically linked. You can't actually like say for certain like however like it's not like a percentage of like how much privilege you actually have. It, it's like a very situationally based thing that's not based in biology, but totally an experience, which people can't really suss out just like based on the way you look. For me, it's like I've had to ask this question of like, what's the importance of race in this country so much because uh, it, the answer just has never been a very clear thing for me. Yeah, I, I was about to say, uh, I see a common um, 
argument that springs up uh, often in Asian spaces, whether you're on Reddit or Facebook, and it's this idea of um, how how Asian how Asian are hapas and and do they have any kind of like residual privilege because of of you know the, because they're more white than than like any right. you know like full Asian, and it, there's it's it's like, and I feel like um. There's like so many ways to come about it, right? Because I mean, there, there are certain facts that I mean, growing up, I'm Korean. Um, growing up, like if like another Korean says something like that, you look like a soyang saram, which means like a white person. That's almost always a compliment. It means you have like big eyes, a nice straight nose, like not a not a big round face. And then for me, like growing up hearing that, my instinct is well, if if you're half Asian, of course. I mean, there are obviously like certain things that. Uh, you're gonna have to go through like not feeling uh, well, maybe not feeling a natural welcomeness in in like either the white or or Asian circles. But I always thought that you know when you're among Asians, you, like they might be a little, they might treat you a little differently at first. But you you do have this advantage of of you know being partially white. Then I hear other people who are who say things like um, in in certain Asian uh, American circles, they they're gonna like exclude you. A, a lot of hapas say they felt excluded. Uh, so I, I think it, it's very like perspective de- uh, disp- um, dependent. Um, what has your guys' experience have been? Have you ever always felt welcome in Asian circles? Uh, I mean, I think what's interesting about that is like in full context. Like when I was talking about these like leftist circles too, like I'd be pushed to like POC caucuses and stuff, and there weren't any problems with that. Like there's never a point at which I felt like in those spaces uh, that like. I wasn't like POC enough to ever be there. I, I like that was never. It's always been uh, in my uh, uh, experience. Like when you're in white spaces, it's white people who are telling, like, giving you the feeling of whether or not you are or aren't a certain thing. And I mean, really, my only experience besides in like family life, uh, which has always been very accepting of uh, my mixed race identity. Uh, plan A is like the one space in. Obviously, you guys are accepting of that. <laughs> um, I so I I've had a mix of experiences, pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I would say, like, I feel a lot of acceptance, typically, or at least so far in my life, amongst Asian Americans. Um, and when I say Asian Americans, I mean predominantly like people who either immigrated here as young children or like second or subsequent generation. Um, So like in college, I went to UCLA, which was 60% Asian at the time. And I had like my white friends and then my Asian American friends, my Asian American friends were great. Like I never felt questioned by them and they would be like, you're one of us. And culturally I felt some alignment with them. I, but we also were quite transnational. And when I was growing up, which was like, I'm going to date myself here in the eighties, um, there weren't like a lot of foreigners um, yet. And I don't even know what it looks like now because it's been a while since I've been back in um, China, Beijing and Taiwan. And so we would go there and people would literally, I mean, I remember this when I was a kid because it was so stark. They would stop dead in their tracks and stare at us. Like you're just a kid. You want to go to the park and play like other kids and everybody would just freeze and be like, what mm-hmm. the hell is that? <laughs> So that that didn't feel very accepting. I wouldn't say people were cruel, but in Taiwan, we would get that too. Other kids would stop in the alleys when my sister and I would go out to play and then just look at us real weird. I don't remember that it was easy for us to make friends because we felt like oddities. So in that sense, you know, I didn't feel um, very accepted. 
And, and then now back to the US, I mean, the Asian population here is still predominantly immigrants. Uh, I think it's like 70% or more, right? Does anyone know the statistic off the top of their head? Uh, yeah, it's somewhere between like 60 to 70%. Yeah. I think the figure is about two thirds. Yeah. So when I'm in immigrant, like when I'm in immigrant circles, I feel the same thing that I felt when I was a kid in Asia. Like I, there's, um, because I'm uh, Asian and white, there, there is a level of uh, interest and sort of fascination with my whiteness. And, but that isn't necessarily acceptance. Like none of the immigrants that I ever run into see me as like Asian Asian. Does that make sense? There's a sense of yeah. like, oh, aren't you, aren't you an interesting zoo animal? <laughs> <laughs> like, and you're so adjacent to whiteness and it's so, so cool. But you're not really Asian, like really, like you don't speak the language, you know, you don't look like us. And so um, I've noticed that recently um, uh, in Seattle because we've got some pretty large immigrant populations that I just I just don't feel like one of when I don't just, you know, blend in or just walk into it and feel instantly comfortable. So it's just it's different depending. Mm. Do you do you guys think that like hapas should just uh, identify with well, like one race or um, constitutes uh, like a unique racial group? Uh, I think if you ask most mixed people um, if they would like, so I'm going to go to the census. So you know, for the census, we don't. There is no mixed race box. You pick one mm -hmm. or you pick two or more of the existing race boxes, right? And, and there was, when they were advocating, when the, the groups that worked for that change were advocating for a change, they went back and forth about, do we want a multiracial box or do we just want the option to select more than one box? And it was ultimately decided with, with the support of, I think, the NAACP and like other people of color that it was better for everyone if we could just pick more than one box. And if you ask mixed people directly, and I've done this informally, like not in a research setting, would you rather have a multiracial box or just be able to pick all your boxes? They, they all, nine times out of 10 are say, I don't want a multiracial box because that isn't specific. That doesn't say who I am. I just want to yeah, be able so... to say all the things that I am. So, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's like multiracial could be so many things. You could be like, uh, first of all, who says it even has to be you know two? What if you're like three or or even four, right? Then that's a to it's a totally different experience. And I mean, I, I think it's kind of the same, uh, somewhat similar problem with with like the term Asian. Yeah, I see this. Uh, right. uh, if if I go into like subtle Asian groups or whatever, I see this discussion all the time, and it's always about well, who gets to be Asian in in America? And to me, it's it's, it's just a problem of just finding more specific language because I think. It's not. I don't think when say uh, people of like East uh, and usually like Southeast Asian descent uh, claim that over say South Asians or or even like Middle Easterners who are technically Asian, um, it, it, they're not like trying to rob them of that identity. It's just that we don't have any other word because we're not allowed to say yellow. Uh, we're even more not allowed to say Oriental, right? So it, we're all just just lingually deprived. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, to me the the idea of like a multiracial box encompassing you know, uh, half white, half Asian, half black, half uh, Latino or whatever is, is absurd. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the word that comes into my mind is ridiculous. And, you know, my experience <laughs> as an Asian white person is clearly, clear. I don't even need to tell you, very different than like a black mixed person or an indigenous mm -hmm. person, mixed person living in this country. Uh, and I, I'm the first person to, to own that. So um, a mixed race box would sort of erase those really important 
differences um, in a harmful way. I think of it a lot in the context of a, the term person of color, like uh, because I think that the terminology kind of um, it's, it's trying to point to something that we have in common, but it kind of, in my mind, erases a lot too, mm. because it's like, well, if we actually think about like what people of color all have in common, it's really nothing. Uh, the only thing that we do have in common is the fact that we're not white. We don't <laughs> yeah. experience the world in the sense of like having just like this uh, innateness to how we claim space or whatnot. But beyond that, it's like there's there's not really a, like a specific thing that we can point to beyond like whiteness, which is kind of like the uh, the kind of tragedy of it, I guess, because then we're hyper focused on like what whiteness is. But then when it comes backwards to actually identifying ourselves, uh, it's a lot harder to sp- like be articulate about that because you're having to like advocate for like so many different experiences under one umbrella term that and really the problem as like I think with like people who are choosing uh, to pick multiple boxes instead of just like one multi ethic is like you want greater you want to be more specific about it you want to speak to more of your own experience. And I think this is like kind of like one of the problems that is in general with like Asian Americans too, because like Asian American and just in that term alone is a is also like kind of a microcosm for a POC where it's just like, well, we have these things in common, but really it's like oh, there's like a great diversion in experience. There's a lot of like uh, differences in like refugee status, immigration status, uh, histories, generational that kind of get like fuzzed over in that term um and it's hard to like be really eloquent about it because it's we're as an ethnic group we're younger and also smaller than like a lot that uh like versus like black people or even latinos and so i think when we're trying to like uh, speak to that in like a really coherent way it's uh it's a lot it takes a lot more nuance. There's a lot less literature out there that we can like base our uh, opinions off of. Yeah, uh, but here here's an issue that comes up with like checking multiple boxes. Uh, in that, th- does that mean um, you're kind of a, a almost like a guest in each category, uh, right. or do you get to be like a full member of multiple categories because I, I mean I think this kind of pops up uh, among Asians more more so than whites because like Asians yeah uh, I mean this manifests itself especially in like media representation but that's really just uh, like a microcosm of a greater uh, like uh, issue that we I think we want to hash out in that okay so if like Hapas get to be Asian and white but then Hapas are made to represent Asians and a lot of Asians already feel as though. We, we don't have that much in terms of especially representation in this country, then that that's an issue where uh, it, it feel I think some Asians feel like, well, like Hoppers, of course, since they have, they're closer to whiteness than us, of course, they're going to be the, the face of our group because they're, they're more like pleasing to, to the rest of America. What do you guys think about that? I mean, that's the whole thing with the crazy, uh, crazy rich Asians casting of um, Henry Golding, right? Where it's like, uh, this is a movie that's supposed to represent Asian Americans, but we have like a dude who's mixed race, like being the romantic lead in it. And it's like, it's hard because uh, for me, it's like, it's nice to like see representation of mixed race people, but also it's like, why is, why am, why are we showing up in this? Like, what is the context? Why is this acceptable versus like, 
a, a full Asian man. And I think it, it is a thing of like trying to like uh, establish some sense of autonomy in that. And ultimately it's like when you're the mixed race as an identity is always used as like kind of a political tool as like a fulcrum to like a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Sharon, what what are your thoughts? Oh, this is, this is a tough one. Um, <laughs> We talk about the tough stuff on this yes, part. Yes, you do. <laughs> well, I was thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm sorry that I can't remember her full name right now. Um, the, the mixed Asian actress, is it Chloe ben- Benet? Is that it? Bennett, Chloe Bennett. Bennett. Um, I was thinking about, I mean, of course, Henry Golding. I feel like, I feel like I don't have a lot of clarity about how I feel around that. <laughs> like, I, I want to feel strongly one way or another, but I just, I hear what everybody's saying about that controversy. And I, and I, and I really, I think everything has validity. And I, I honestly just don't think we'd have to have this. Can I, can I drop an F-bomb? Am I allowed to do that? Oh, please. I, I, okay. Okay. If, oh, you've, if you've listened to us, yeah, okay. we say also. I just don't shit. even think we'd have to be having to have this fucking conversation if white supremacy didn't exist, because we wouldn't all be starved right. for space to just say our stories. And when, I mean, one of the things, at least from a mixed perspective, is that Mixed race actors don't really have a, they don't get to play mixed roles like ever. (laughs) Like I can't, I mean, it's very Mm -hmm. rare you see a role or a character. I mean, we're starting to see more slowly, but so that's an issue too. Right. But, uh, but I'm thinking about Chloe Bennett because um, you had asked, um, is there validity to the idea that like mixed Asian, particularly Asian white, I think that's what we're talking about a lot of times. Right. Um, Do they have more access do they have more access than a quote-unquote full asian person i think the answer has got to be yes because chloe bennett would be a great example because she couldn't get cast because of her last name right she told the story and then sort of retracted it because she didn't want people to know but it was too late because nothing is you know once you put it on the internet it's permanent forever but um so she uh, had to change her name because she couldn't get roles or get auditions and the minute she changed her name she got roles but that would not have happened Mm -hmm. if visually she read as a 100% Asian woman. She would have showed up and she would have still faced more barriers. So at some point, being adjacent to whiteness did offer her a certain amount of privilege, but she did also face discrimination at a point too. So it's really this spectrum, right? Um, I, I hear that. I think that's real. Um, just to say, like, Chloe Bennett is one of the most white-passing uh, mixed uh, race Asians I've ever seen. <laughs> like if uh, you know, if you didn't tell me she was Asian, I I would not have have guessed that. Actually, also um, speaking of changing last names, um, have you guys ever seen Big Hero Six? Oh yeah, of course. Are you okay. kidding? Uh, I have um, a nine year old. Are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> I've I've actually never seen it, but I think the guy who um voices the le- the lead character, who I think is also Hapa, is this guy named Ryan Potter. I think he also had to change his last name. Um, oh, did he? I didn't know. I, that. He, yeah, he he had an Asian dad. Uh, but I think I read his wiki and then it, it was something like he, he changed it to his mother's name. I think it was for professional reasons. Um, maybe his like parents split up and he lived with his mom. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's like, like we all know that happens. Like ha- having like that Asian last name does tag you as, as certain things, um, so whether you're male or female. So, yeah. Yeah. When um, I was right out of college which was a while ago, but it's true. Um, (laughs) I remember I was in LA and I sent out resumes and I got really depressed because I could not get a call. Uh, So many resumes. And then they'd bring me in once maybe, and I couldn't get a job. And and I really didn't understand because I was young. I didn't have a lot of work experience, but it just seemed like at some point something was a little off. 
And I had no analysis then. I was like not woke at all or political. Now, <laughs> decades later, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I think it was because of my last name. <laughs> you know, I, I bet anything, I can't prove it. But then the first job I finally did get, I dealt with a lot of racism, like Orientalism from my white boss. So it, it happens. And to mix people too. Mm. Uh, I want to talk about something that, uh, again, in our pri- prior conversation, Sharon, you brought up, which uh, was very interesting. Like you, you were a teacher uh, before, right? Yep. And you talked about how, um, like, a lot of uh, the, the biggest portion of, 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 you know, mixed race Asians are obviously very young because, you know, we, we all came over relatively recently. And um, so we're not going to have like a bunch of old, you know, mixed race Asians. And, and you said that a lot of the the discussion should center around those young kids. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think I shared this uh, statistic with you all in a different conversation. But um, in 2015, 46% of the mixed race population was 18 years old and younger. So I'm going to say that one more time. In 2015, wow, yeah. 46%, meaning almost half of the mixed race population was 18 years old and younger. So very, very young demographic. Um and knowing that, uh, that's where the focus should be. But also, like, I'm sort of looking back again at children's literature and young adult literature because we think about representation. And um, I also because I'm always looking for stuff for my own son. But um, I've noticed it. Have you seen those uh, reports that get put out by the cooperative? What are they called? The Cooperative Children's Book Center. And I think they're in um, Minnesota. Or no, 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 no. They're in Madison, no, I haven't seen Madison, that. Wisconsin. So they, they've been collecting children's books for, for many, many years. And they count how many characters of color are represented in these books. And for a long time, like the number did not change for like decades and decades and decades. It was really bad. Um, and then there was a big shift in 2014. Anyway, so th- their reports are really great, but they never count mixed kids. Um, and they, they still don't. And so like, uh, it's hard for me when I read these reports, because I'm like, but I value this data and also I don't know where my child fits into this. Like Asian folks proportionately are doing better in terms of being represented in children's literature, but what about mixed kids? So on the one hand, my child is seeing more of part of himself, but in another way, he's not seeing himself at all. We're not even counted on those studies. So that concerns me because if we see this rapid growth in this young population, but we don't see a corresponding mirroring of who they are in the things like their playthings or the things they read, that's going to lead to some real dissonance. And we can't afford to have young people who don't feel seen in who they are, because if we all know this, right? When you don't feel seen or grounded in who you are, you're really not available for anything else because you're spending so much time and energy just trying to plant your feet. Um, and so I just really would like more support and seriousness around multiracial identity, Um as I think people sometimes see it as this like angsty thing that's like happening over there, but the important stuff is over here. Um, but I wish we could connect the dots a little more and see that if future generations are going to be more and more mixed and we have no language, like we were talking about earlier, we're like starved for good language and frameworks to even talk about what that means. That's going to be a problem. So that's where I think the intervention work has got to be at the moment is focusing on our youth, giving them space to tell stories, empowering them to develop their own frameworks and language so they feel strong to show up for other people's causes too, right? That's that's my dream. <laughs> um, have you, I mean, I feel like any discussion about Hoppus, especially among, you know, Asians who are 
active and like online. Like, have you guys ever been to the the Hapa subreddit on on Reddit? Uh, not. I've looked at it a little bit, but not. I haven't delved deeply. Yeah, same. Okay. Well, in case you guys uh, or the listeners don't know, it's this subreddit, uh, and it's full of a lot of uh, kind of like damaged uh, uh, Hapa kids, and a lot of them blame a lot of their condition on the fact that um, like all their like dads are white and all their moms are Asian, and and then they're like they kind of had like fucked up relationships where like the dad was like some like misogynistic racist um you know who couldn't like get white women or whatever and like the asian mom was had internalized racism and then they they have a son and and you know the son kind of looks asian and, and it passes for asian in america and 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 then that's why a lot of the problems start i mean i i think i mean i think a lot of the uh, the subreddit is very extreme and not representative of of most hapas uh but on the other hand i do see this um desire among a lot of Asian Americans, I think especially those who really believed that, you know, that the Beijing of, of America would, would just um, uh, would lead to like unimpeded uh, progress and, you know, racial harmony. They, they see stuff like that and then they, they deny it that it could possibly happen or they say, oh, it's just a bunch of like angry full Asian guys who are just there to hate on Asian women, I'm, which I'm sure some of them are. But there is a logic to why this happens, right? And I, I, I think Sharon, when you say like we should focus on the kids, I think there is a tendency of for this like Hapa debate to be to be waged among like full Asians, and and the kids just kind of get uh, lost on the wayside. And I, I think, um, I mean, Sharon, you recently wrote that article about uh, to all the boys I've loved before. Oh yeah. Uh, and, you know, you excoriated that movie, and I and like I mean I I, I you know I. That that like movie book pissed me off for many yeah. reasons, but I, I think one of the things that we both really did not like about it is that it it, it like the, the character is supposed to be Hapa, you know, and and this is this like one of those like books that you would love to see for your you know mixed race children, right? But the way they treat it is is just like a full Asian character, and I mean to me it's quite self evident that the author herself, who's full Asian. Uh, used the hop identity as a way to work out her own conflicting, uh, conflicted issues of being like Asian American and growing up in a in a white majority country. And I think it totally robbed the character of what should have been um, like a rich Hapa experience. Oh and yeah. And I, I think it, I think it manifested totally in the way to cast the movie, in which they cast a full Asian actress in one of the very few roles I'm sure that's open for, for like a Hapa actress. And that's where that's where like the um, total hypocrisy comes in because when anybody criticized the the casting of Henry Golding as as Nick Young, who who is like a full Asian character in Crazy Rich Asians, they were like, "Oh, you're taking away opportunities for Hapa actors who don't have any to begin with." Yet when it comes to this, when it should have been a Hapa actress, they made all sorts of excuses like, "Well, we finally get to see an Asian uh, woman in a lead romantic comedy, so shut your mouth." No, I agree with you. I, I, it felt like a double standard, but I mean, I tried to talk about that on social media and it didn't go well. So I just decided not to talk about it anymore. <laughs> exactly. There is, and I, I think there is, uh, and I think that is an example of, of just, yeah, as you said, a double standard. You like, yeah. See uh, us, your thoughts? I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I'm kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about I mean, I think a lot of this is like, it's hard to parcel out because um, like with uh, our Hapas, I think a lot of the trauma based on that comes from like a first, second gen uh, 
trauma, like uh, a lot of like first gen Asian Americans having mixed race kids. And then like the, a lot of the conflicts that come from that, I, like, and all, like, cause I, I think it was also loaded with um, a lot of the things I see in like subtle Asian uh, traits of like problems you have with your parents um and like a lot a lot of that kind of like projections into our like racial identity um i see resonant with like what i was seeing in our hapas uh for me it's um i feel like i carry a little bit more nuance in that because i i definitely have frustrations with like certain decisions my mother made and like when i became aware of like wmaf uh being a thing that was like a statistical anomaly uh it it did kind of like weird me out and at the same time it's like i'm uh for full context i'm fourth gen and uh my mom's third gen i i feel like i have like a pretty clear like i can looking back at like the decisions that my mother made my grandparents made uh and my great-grandparents made it's like it's really hard for me to not have like a sense of empathy for like the pushes of assimilation they made. I mean, I realize like there there's obviously a lot of like loaded internalized racism that can go into like choose like why you would choose to marry someone that's white. Um, and I'm not really I, I am like hesitant to like make any like psychoanalysis to it, but it is like this thing of like. I, I try to line up like my own experiences of race uh, in this contemporary moment and line it up versus say like my grandfather going through internment and um, the sacrifices he had to make in the sense of like what he has to do to like survive. And uh, I try to have like a stronger sense of like, all right, this is a byproduct of like white supremacy. Like this is a thing that like we have to make decisions in order to survive. And like there are times where we are going to like, cause injury to like or make decisions that are like damaging to our like racial identity but it's that's also like you have to acknowledge that it's like a necessary function of living in this country this is a necessary function of diversity um and I, I think that's the thing that is really important to pull apart here is that like diversity isn't something that is just innately good it is something that is uh, demanding of work it is something that is has to be like done with some uh, measure of thought. And I think uh, when we think about it in like this generational context, um, for me, it goes back to what Sharon was saying. It was like, it really is a thing that we need to be thinking about. What What is the messages that we're handing down to like the next generation? Because they're the ones that are going to be having problems that are like, we can't even comprehend that are uh, really kind of out of this world and i think that's 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 kind of where a lot where i a lot of these uh questions lead me to yeah that's very well said um we're approaching an hour so i want yeah i mean you guys are both uh, writers so i want you guys to uh, have a chance to just talk about you know projects you have coming up in the year or, or things you want to start but uh before we get to that uh, any closing thoughts on this i mean uh please don't think that this episode is like you know, the only one we're going to talk about this. I, I want to have you guys back on. You've been great. Uh, but, you know, just for what we've talked about, any, any uh, lingering thoughts you want to get out? I just want to remind folks again that there are also many mixed people in the U.S. who are not mixed with white. And we even more, even more rarely hear about 
their stories. And so um, please don't forget to seek them out too. And off the top of my head, Blasian Narratives is a great project. Um, and you can find them online really easily. So that's a start. For sure. Uh, I mean, I think I haven't totally formed a coherent like thought on what I'm about to say, but just to put it out there, I feel like there's a, a common uh, discussion that kind of proliferates where it's like the sense that like the further Asian Americans move into, uh, you know, Americanness, the, the, the more imminent, like the death of Asians is whatever that means. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I get that insecurity. I, I think the one thing I would w- want to add to that though, is just like when you see yourself as like transitioning into like, uh, this, uh, vanilla or like beijing out uh you have to like remind yourself that like when you are looking at like the future as like change or like a sense of death that like when you like place that as something and that is only in the future you kind of put what it means to be asian in a box like you're putting it as something that is like stagnant and i think that kind of goes back to the episode about um uh what was it uh the the time war Immigrant time warp paradox. Oh yeah, immigrant time warp with TK and Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where I think that's I think that is that thing of like we in as Asian Americans like tend to think of like Asia in like terms of like what when our last like interaction when we left it was, and I think we have to remember that those are changing spaces too. Those are constantly like reevaluating its sense of identity, and so I think we should have um, some amount of confidence in our own uh, sense of the identity as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and in the last few minutes, I want to ask you guys, uh, what, what are you guys working on right now? Any, any writing projects or are you dreaming up of anything? Uh, Sharon, why don't we start with you? Right. So I have Raising Mixed Race was my first book and then Hoppa Tales most recent. And I have a third book I've been working on for a while <laughs> on Asian American women, gender and race. And I interviewed <clears throat> over 70 politicized Asian American women from all over the U.S., from multiple ethnicities, um, about what it was like to be um, Asian and female identified in this country. And it's pretty rad, but it's very hard to write, to pull it all together. So stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) What makes it so difficult? It feels scary. (laughs) You know, while, while there's been a lot of gains made since the current administration took hold, we are also seeing like the license being renewed on very overt anti-woman hate among other kinds of gendered hate. Um, so there, the pushback mm-hmm. can be very violent and vitriolic when women speak out. Uh, so, you, you know, you do always have to ask yourself, like, do I want to take this risk? Uh, I saw Tarana Burke speak recently and Linda Sarsour at the Facing Race conference in Detroit. And I, first of all, let me just say I had an out-of-body experience. And I just said this on another interview because Toronto Burke is amazing. But they did talk about <laughs> at the end what they deal with behind, uh, you know, behind the cameras, like outside of all the media blitz and all of that. Um, they get a lot of they get a lot of pushback. They get a lot of harassment. They get a lot of really scary shit happening to them. So, you know, that's a question any woman is going to have to ask herself if she wants to to call out patriarchy. Um, so that's one thing. And uh, the other thing is I'm trying to talk about stuff that talk about Asian American women and gender and race um, and class and all that stuff in a way that uh, hasn't really been talked about that much yet in scholarship. Like I see a lot of stuff in Asian American women that's more like 
collecting of stories or sort of talked about through the framework of immigration. I, I'm looking for stuff that's really rooted in like critical race theory and like a racial justice framework. Um, and so it's hard to write about because I every time I read something, I'm just like, yeah, that's almost it, but not quite it. And, and so it's a little tricky. <laughs> Those are some of the reasons. Yeah. I mean, speaking of like misogyny, I, I just like recently found out that Elizabeth Warren is less popular than Joe Biden. That just boggles my mind. It just, uh, yeah, because like, oh, like what, what do you have against? Okay, like maybe she shouldn't have done that DNA test or whatever. But that's like, I don't know, I, that's like so insignificant. Um, especially when you when you compare it to all the shit like someone like Biden's done. Hmm, and interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, um, CS, anything you're working on? Uh, I mean, working on is generous thing to say but <laughs> i mean I've, I've been like bogged down as long as you're thinking about it it's, right? it's working on it. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean that that's a nice thing to say <laughs> but uh i mean i've been bogged down with my job but outside of that i've been working on like fiction stuff trying to get that published uh i have ideas for plan a and if those progress hopefully you all will be able to read that soon next couple months a year but other than that i mean yeah what kind of fiction are you trying to write? Like, like style, genre, um, you know, certain writers you're trying to emulate? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I really like Haruki Murakami's kind of style of, uh, I, I, it's not really like magical realism, but it's kind of like how mundane he is. But I feel like my writing style, I, I, I read a lot of like Toni Morrison and Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Um, with her, which are both like pretty, uh, I feel like their, their writing has like a lot of emotion into it to the point where it's like, so the language kind of makes the, like what is going on, like more ambiguous. And I think that's like, I feel like with, you know, being Asian American, it's a very frustrating thing to like be seen as kind of like a robot all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think I want oh yeah for my sure. writing to be like more reflective of like that, like emotional content. Uh, honestly, the writer... Uh, I, I think I kind of want to emulate is John Okada, who wrote uh, No No Boy. I mean, oh, I really want to read that. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a great book. I mean, it it's uh, to me it it's kind of reminds me of Cormac McCarthy, where like I guess at the time of when that book was published in the 1970s, it got a lot of flack because it was like here's this Japanese guy who apparently can't like speak English good because his sentences are like are all run on. But like with Cormac McCarthy is like. His style is like his sentences run on and are kind of like they they feel kind of train of thought because it is like kind of like this emotional context of like being in your head. And like for someone who's just like gone through internment, which that book is about, um, like I think that like kind of style just like makes so much sense. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, marketing that kind of thing, I think when you're kind of a nobody (laughs) is like not... Not something that's gonna come easy, which I'm I'm fine with. I'm I, it's exciting. It's exciting to work to do. Yeah, great to hear. Yeah. Um. Okay. I think we uh, we're a little over an hour now, so I think we can approach the end here. Uh, thanks so much for for joining joining me. That this was really enjoyed talking about this topic. Uh, we've never talked about it on this podcast before. We definitely should do more of it. And um, yeah, you you guys will be <laughs> the first ones to call again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks, Sharon. Thanks, CS. Hope you guys have a good night uh, up there on the West Coast. Really late for me, but <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a night owl anyway, so it's no big deal. 
Well, it probably feels about that late to me because I'm a mom and I'm like <laughs> so tired right now. <laughs> yeah, I got the advantage here. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Bye. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. This was the Escape from Plan A podcast. I'm Oxford Kondo, and joining me was Sharon H. Chang and C.S. Taniguchi. If you like us, uh, please remember, go to iTunes, give us five stars, uh, go to SoundCloud, um, uh, subscribe to us there. Uh, We're also on Spotify now and also Google Play, so you can check us out there. If you like our articles, go to planamag.com to read more. We have a ton, you know, going back over a year now. And also uh, go follow us on Facebook. We we post stuff there as well. Uh, Next week, we'll be right back. So tune in then. Bye, everyone. It's funny how they're all the same. It's funny how you all